Hey, what's up, everybody? You are listening to The Greatest Show on Dirt, part three of this week's episode, so thanks for making it this far. On this particular episode, I talked to uh, one of my good buddies, John Roberts. You can find him on Twitter at HeyTweetJohn. Um, check him out. He had a lot of phenomenal insight on this week's podcast, stuff that blew my mind that I never even thought of. And also, I actually heard one of the best stories, best baseball stories I've ever heard. So wait for the part where John talks about being in basic training and listening to the Cubs uh, on the radio. So check that part out. It's phenomenal. I think he said he was in the latrine when he was listening to the Cubs play baseball. But either way, thanks for listening, and we hope you like the show. All right, what's up, everybody? You are still listening to The Greatest Show on Dirt, and I have another guest. Now, this has never been done on the show. We have two guests in one day. I've got my buddy John. You can find him on Twitter at HateTweetJohn. John, how's it going, man? How you doing? Hey, what's up, man? Thanks uh, thanks for giving me the opportunity. Uh, like I told you earlier, like I have uh, like literally no – no references, no experience, and no reason for anybody to listen to me other than I'm really passionate about the game of baseball awesome. and I'm very opinionated. Perfect, dude. You'll fit in probably better than anyone that would ever do this show, so that's awesome, man. Thanks for taking the time, dude. And, dude, let me ask you this. Since we've kind of just only spoke on Twitter, what's kind of like your baseball background? Like, what's your favorite team? How long have you been watching baseball? Who got you started? Those sorts of things. Yeah, so – I uh, I think like a lot of your audience and certainly a lot of folks you talk to, I'm a Cubs fan. Uh, I was born in Chicago, raised in the Carolinas, but uh, because of WGN, the Cubs stuck with me. Um, my dad was a huge Cubs fan when I was a kid. We used to go to Wrigley probably 10, 15 times every summer. And then when we moved, that kind of stopped. But, you know, the Cubs stuck with me. And uh Cubby Blue Blood has been flowing through me since I was like two years old. There so that's the best uh, thing to hear ever. WGN did its job as kids. Like, because I grew up in Illinois, oh, well, but I was in the southern part. So I couldn't just like go watch a Cubs game. But when you could get WGN, Harry Carey, Steve Stone, Tom Brenneman, I'm like, yeah, buddy, the best ever. Right. And I mean, for me, uh, I think I was like 12 years old uh, in 98. When, uh, you know, when Kerry Wood came up and he was striking everybody out and Sammy Sosa was in the home run race. And I already loved baseball, but that, like, that cemented it, right? Like, that, uh, that was, that's when I fell in love forever. And, you know, the Cubs, you know, there's been a lot. We've endured a lot. We've seen a lot in the time since then. And I couldn't imagine being a fan of any other team. I really can't. Like, uh, I have friends that are, like, national fans and stuff, and I'm like, really? Like, and, like I live in Kentucky now, so there's a ton of Reds fans, and yeah. it, unless you were alive for the Big Red Machine, like, I don't get it. Like, other than geographic location, like, what's this doing for you? Um, nobody has a story like the Cubs. Not at you know? all. Like, and I'll that's... still watch, like, I'll watch the bad times of the Chicago Cubs. Like, probably 20 times I've watched Catching Hell, that documentary where it goes over, like, the oath right. playoffs and stuff. And, like, I'll watch that, and, like, it's kind of, like, heartbreaking, right? It, like, tears my heart out and just, like, eats it. But at the same time, like, I enjoy watching it because it brings back, like, these certain memories and these certain feelings of, like, you know, watching Kerry Wood hit a home run in Game 7 and, like, right. Mark Pryor just, like, leading the pitching side. And you're just like, 
man, like that felt good to watch that. Like I remember watching it with my dad and him like throwing the remote and all this stuff. And like, it's still good times in the history behind it. I mean, the whole history of the whole team. Um, I mean, it's just fun. Right. Like that was part of. like, that was my first year in the army. Like I was still in training, like still drill sergeants and stuff while the NLCS was going on. And I've got like, like a little like ham radio, like hidden under my shirt and I'm hiding in the closet of the latrine listening, you know, listening to the game. Right. And I had already made up in my mind that if they won game six or one game seven, I was just going to go AWOL, take the consequences and go to the world series in Chicago. Where were you stationed at? You know, are you in training uh, at that time? Yeah. At that time I was in training at Fort Lee uh, in Virginia and like, like, I was already, like, mapping out, like, the Greyhound routes and everything to get from Richmond to Chicago. And you were just going to go uh, to just do it to it. Yeah, I was just going to, you know, I was come back, take my consequences, but I wasn't going to miss that. Yeah. Um, you know, so, and that's, that's how far, that's how deep it runs for me. But, you know, but you brought up Kerry Wood and Mark Pryor, and I think that that is like a perfect example for Cubs fans like now that we look at this team, we look at how stacked they are and we envision this lasting forever. And I think that's why you have to really, really take 2016 and really savor it because just because Chris Bryant Rizzo and that whole nucleus is great now, just like Kerry Wood and like Mark Pryor, that could be gone in a second. And, and just... so that's, and that's also why I think, you know, when, when making moves, um, you know, I get in Twitter fights with a lot of guys, a lot of other Cubs fans that basically want to run the team, you know, like the Oakland A's or something. And like, just like go out and sign guys for like minor league deals with invitations and like that with invitations to spring training. And that's all you do. And, I'm the opposite side of it. I, you know, I'm go big or go home because you don't know how big this window is going to be. And everybody else around you is getting better. Yeah, and that points to exactly what helped the Cubs get to the World Series in 2016 because they gave up Glaber Torres for a rental. And I would imagine, and I think I remember hearing at the time, like that was maybe such a bad idea. And they also gave up Eloy Jimenez for Quintana. And that speaks to exactly what you said. And I think um, the Cubs are kind of making their decisions just like that because you can't keep banking on, like, holding on to these guys and that or whatever because you have to go big. And I love the deal to get Chapman, and obviously we saw what that did. And even I love the deal to get Quintana because um, you kind of have to attack it now. And especially, like, I applaud Theo and Jed for making that decision because, you know, with the All-Star break, the Cubs were five games behind the Brewers. And then by the time July hits, they're giving up Eloy Jimenez, the guy that literally just broke the lights at the minor league home run derby. Right. And you give him for Quintana, who was on the south side and wasn't really pitching that good. Um, but I, and speaking of what you've kind of brought up about just kind of like going big right now in the moment, um, when you had mentioned you had uh, sent me a message on Twitter about like Mike Montgomery and like a possible Cubs swap for like Mike Montgomery and Zach Britton. And that might, that kind of might speak to what you just said. And I know Mike Montgomery's recently said that, um, listen, I want to start or you guys can ship me elsewhere. And it might sound crazy to 
shit Mike Montgomery out because he's had pretty good numbers like the past two seasons, but you pay him for what you think he can do, not what he's done. Um, if you don't mind kind of go into like your mindset behind possibly thinking that like trading Montgomery for Britain, what that would do for the Cubs and how you think that might be a good idea. So obviously right now for the Cubs, the ninth inning is a, is a question. Uh, they signed Moro. I think Moro can close, yeah. uh, but do I like Moro better in the eighth? Sure. And when I look at Zach Britton, to me, it feels and looks a lot like what they did with Wade Davis last year, right? Wade Davis was coming off of kind of a down year. He was coming off of uh, injuries, and there were some question marks attached to it. Plus, he was going into free agency. Tell me that doesn't sound a lot like Zach Britton. And because of that, you know, the Cubs were able to get in there, and they were able to, I think, get Wade Davis below market value. Oh, yeah. Uh, Getting you know getting him straight up for Solaire um, because you know uh, in, in this day and age of Major League Baseball uh, years of control matters a lot mm-hmm. and with Mike Montgomery Mike I think has four years left of control of team control and he's still another year to arbitration uh, I think Mike can be a starter uh, I think Mike could be a, a pretty good starter. And I think he could be a pretty good starter uh, for the Cubs, but I think you could sneak in there um, and and build the package around Mike Montgomery for Zach Britton, and then go out and uh, I think at this point probably sign another pitcher for the rotation. I know there's a lot of talk about Cobb, but maybe build a deal for Mike Montgomery, bring Britton in there, and now you've got the you know you've got Morrow and Britton and the rest of that bullpen. I mean you got to think that Justin Wilson is going to pitch like Justin Wilson again. And you've got Strophy and you've got CJ Edwards and you start looking at that. That's like a six headed monster. And if the rotation isn't as good as it has been, that's okay because now your strength is in the bullpen. And I think that's where the game's trending anyways. And for the Baltimore Orioles, they're able to turn a year of Zach Britton into four years of a left-handed starter. I think they have to feel pretty good about that. Yeah, because Mike's put up good numbers the past two seasons and really shown, like, unbelievable versatility just in case, you know, because if they're going to have, if the Orioles would have Montgomery for four years and, you know, maybe they're going to contend for a playoff spot in three, you're going to get a guy that can do both, that can come out of the pen if you've got a starter that only went three or four innings, but then he can also start for you as well. Okay, we're back. We dropped John. The internet connection's a little iffy, but either way, okay, I got to question i want to ask you man because me and my previous guest kyle we have talked about this um because in what you had mentioned about more of an emphasis being on the bullpen as opposed to starters um let's see how do i want to start this what do you think is more important for the success of like the chicago cubs if they were to trade montgomery for zach Britton, and then pick up another starter what type of starter do you think they need to get do they need a guy that can be like a number two like a Hugh Darvish or something or do they just go and get somebody of good value that can give them five good innings and turn it to the bullpen I think the way you have to look at it is you're replacing two spots in the rotation with John Lackey and Jake Arrieta uh and obviously even the current Jake Arrieta, I don't think you can project signing Jake Arrieta 
and him being what you've got out of Jake Arrieta over the last several years. Uh, and I don't know if there's a 2015-2016, second half of 2017, Jake Arrieta on the market, right? Yeah. So I think you almost – but then again, John Lackey wasn't very good uh, last year either. So I think you have to look at it is replacing those two pitchers and those, those numbers in the aggregate. So they signed Tyler Chatwood, who I think – is going to be better when you look at his road splits and you just look at the guy's stuff and his age, he's going to be better than John Lackey was. I think that's pretty obvious. I think that's a reasonable expectation. Mm-hmm. So now that gap with replacing the Jake Arrieta role in that rotation is, you know, a little bit, it's a little bit smaller. Like you don't have to go get 2015 Jake Arrieta. You know, could that be Alex Cobb? I think so. Uh, when I look at the Cubs and when you look at what's coming down the pike with these young players, it's great that you had a bunch of great young players that came up at the same time, but that sets you up because those guys hit arbitration and free agency all at the same time. And major league baseball doesn't have a cap, but the luxury tax is real. Uh, so I, as much as I'd love to say, go sign you Dervish and Jake Arrieta, like, obviously that's not going to happen. And, for, you know, for Jake specifically, I mean, Scott Boris is out there trying to comp Jake Arrieta to like a 20, uh, 32-year-old Jake Arrieta to like a 25-year-old Justin Verlander. Mm-hmm. So I just, it, for the Cubs, I think an Alex Cobb makes a lot of sense uh, and that conversation has happened a lot. Or maybe a Lance Lynn, or even if you step down a tier, um, because I think – the point you've made, I think it's to get those first five or six innings of the ball game and really put your assets in the bullpen. And then looking at like what the Dodgers have done and just building depth in the starting rotation. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think, I think the idea of having a one and a two and top of the end rotation guys and, and all the, I, I think that baseball is starting to move beyond that. I really do. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, for the Cubs, uh, I think that that's, I mean, I think that's it. I think I, if if I were Theo, if I were Jed, I think that I would be pounding the table and saying, let's spend our money and our resources and our trade resources, our money in the bullpen. Uh, because other than pitching every five days, those guys can pitch every other day. Uh, and the bullpen collectively pitches every day. Yeah, exactly. And I think with what the Cubs have in Jose Quintana, John Lester, and Kyle Hendricks, if they pitch their games in 2018, you're good. Because all those right. – we know Lester and Quintana can go out and give you 200-plus innings for the year. Kyle Hendricks has built such like experience on the mound. This might be the year that Kyle Hendricks really breaks out, and he might pitch 180, 190 innings, come out and give you six, seven consistent baseball. And then if you have those three guys doing their job, and then Tyler Chatwood not pitching in Coors Field anymore. And then after that, right. just get your fifth guy that can pick up innings. And you might not even, to your point, have to spend that money on Cobb and go right back into the bullpen. Because like you said, if Justin Wilson comes back, and then you've got Brandon Morrow, and then if you could get a Zach Britton, who is, to a T, the, the Wade Davis analogy for him is perfect. Because Wade Davis was money in 
what was that when they won? When did the Royals win the World Series in 2015? It was, yeah, 20, 2015, yeah. Wade Davis had injuries in 2016, then pitched phenomenal for the Cubs in 2017, walked some guys, but he was, he'd was he get the save. Some days it'd look bad, you know? He's just... Um, He's just a he's just a bulldog though. I mean, and that's and that's the difference between him and our oldest. Uh, and the, we saw it last year in the playoffs. Like, you know, Wade is just a bulldog. Uh, and I, if you could get Wade on a three year deal, even if you had to give him like an insanely high AAV, mm-hmm. I would do it. Uh, I would do it. Uh, you know, I don't know the... In the episode if you had Wade Davis, Justin Wilson, and Brandon Morrow, and then a really locked in Carl Edwards who can get over kind of his right. hips on the mound a little bit, like in big situations. Imagine those four guys coming out of the pen. Right. Well, in in stroke in in Pedro Stroke too. Like like let's not forget how how big Pedro Stroke has been for like three years. He is his uh, cumulative is near like. Really close to three. He's really valuable. So, I mean, and that's, and now, you know, Jesse Rogers wrote a story uh, about the Orioles and the Cubs. Uh, and so then I, I started to think about it a lot this morning because there's a lot of chatter about Manny Machado. And could Theo, you know, could Theo go to Baltimore and pack, build a deal for Zach Britton? and Manny Machado around Mike Montgomery and Addison Russell. Because I think for the Cubs, it makes all the sense in the world. And then also for the Orioles, I think it makes sense because we know that Peter Angelos has a history. He doesn't like prospects. He doesn't like trading for prospects. He doesn't like paying prospects. He doesn't like developing prospects. You're giving them two major leaguers with four years of control. Oh, yeah. Plus, plus whatever prospects you put in the package. And for the Cubs... I mean, I don't have to sell you on Manny Machado in that lineup. No. But I think if you brought Manny to the if you brought Manny to the to the north side and stuck him in that lineup between Rizzo and Bryant, I mean, I think he would absolutely rake, and I think that you'd have a really good shot at retaining him. Probably a better shot at retaining him than anybody not named Brian Cashman would have if they end up absolutely. with Manny Machado. Absolutely, because you put a seven-win player in that lineup at shortstop, and then Theo and Jed have a full year to negotiate with this guy. If you're a big-name professional baseball player, and you're choosing your team, and you're a guy that wants to to be put in a good situation to where you can perform offensively, defensively, to play in meaningful playoff games and have your name remembered in the game of Major League Baseball, you want to play with Jed and Theo. And in this Cubs system, absolutely. Right, and playing for Joe Madden and just being a part of the Cubs culture. I mean, I, there's there's a lot of selling points there. And I think, you know, going into next year's free agency, I, I think I'd feel more comfortable with the Cubs writing a big giant check for Manny Machado than writing a big giant check for Bryce Harper. Uh, especially if you've, you know, in theory, already had a year of Manny Machado. And and also, too, I mean, Angelos is really worried that they're going to trade Manny Machado, and then at the deadline or even before then, he's going to get flipped to the Yankees. Uh, If you trade him to the Cubs, that's not going to happen because they're not going to be selling in July. Mm -hmm. So, and for Angelos and company, 
because they just don't have to worry about that. And they're also getting, you know, Addison Russell at one point, if I'm not mistaken, as a prospect, was rated above Francisco Lindor and Carlos Correa, at least at one point. I don't know how young that was, but I know I read it somewhere. Addison Russell. Oh, uh, yeah. He, he I was, think, right? I think it, was, it was, what, Byron Buxton, Byron Buxton, Noah Syndergaard, then Addison Russell. Like, he was the third best prospect in baseball. Yeah, and to look at and, Addison Russell's last two years, you're kind of like, oh, well, he's not really performing, and he bats 230, but he's still a kid, and he's still growing up. He's still a kid, he's still growing up, and could, could you imagine his swing in Camden Yards in that fan box? Like, Addy might hit 40 home runs. Yeah, he's got the he's got the strength for it. His shoulders, you see how wide that guy is? He's he's a big guy. Right. So, I mean, I think – I think four years with Mark Montgomery and Addison Russell with a few prospects tuck, tucked in there could be really compelling. I think so. Uh, you know, deal to offer. I mean, you know, so like the now that we're on the subject of, of Manny Machado, because uh, that's all that anybody's really talked about for oh, yeah. a few days, you know, uh, what, what do you make of the, uh, the Manny Machado White Sox rumors? Because I, I have like I have like a full on rant okay. for that one. So I can't wait to hear your rant. It's not it's gonna blow what I have to say out of the water. But here's my thing with them. Okay, so whatever you're gonna do with Manny Machado to give up, because Peter Angelos wants a lot. So if you're gonna give up for Manny, you run the risk of just losing out, right? And so I get like Rick Hahn has the outlook of like, hey, well, Manny Machado is such a good player. This is a guy that you take this risk for. But for me and the White Sox, I think, one, it blows up the whole entire plan that they've had. And it strays completely from the game plan. And then number two, I don't think they're close enough to winning. And that seems completely crazy to me for a risk. Do you have, Machado, have Manny Machado join your team for 2018? give up he's gonna want michael kopech or lucas giolito or both which is bonkers because angelos wants two starters and then i'm gonna give that up as a risk for like a year where i'm gonna lose 85 90 games it's crazy to me and i think i get wanting to take the risk but it's not the right timing for the white Sox. that's probably all i have it's a horrible idea and i'm not giving anyone up it, I mean, it's it's like it it might be the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Like when I read that, I had to I had to make sure it wasn't like the Onion Sports. Exactly. Like, yeah. Because it was like, so, and then the more and more I thought about it, like I I just have this I have this vision of of Kenny, um, like of Kenny Williams, like down in Florida, down in Central Florida, it's sunshine, it's beautiful. When he went to Alamo, he paid for the upgrade, so he gets the convertible. And he's just riding around Florida in the convertible with the sunshine, like listening to Dre, like listening to Dre 2000. And he's like, yeah, yeah, Cheo Otani, Giancarlo Stanton, yeah, y'all going to keep messing around and turn me back into the old me. Like, <laughs> and he's just, I mean, like, what, like, I don't even, I can't, I don't even understand the thought process of giving up anything shy of like an Italian beef and some Fannie Mae chocolate for anybody. If you're the Chicago White Sox, like, in fact, like, like when you talk about the White Sox, like the, the fact that they say they they're not going to trade 
their most tradable asset left, Jose Abreu, uh, because of his leadership qualities, like that, like blows my mind. Like if you want a leader, like Mike Napoli's out there, and I'm pretty sure you could get that guy for like, uh, I'm pretty sure you could get Mike Napoli for like a pizza pie and like, or like a really sweet gym membership. Absolutely. Like, somewhere Julio Franco is still swinging a baseball bat. He'd make one <laughs> heck of a leader. Like, <laughs> like there is no reason to hold on to your most tradable asset just because he's a great leader. Like, that's not where they're at. Now, maybe the real story is they found out with the hitters market, I think that the, the Ozuna trade, the Marcel Ozuna trade, really exposed a lot about the value of hitters in the trade market. I think maybe they looked at what was out there in the trade market and, and they didn't like it. So they come up with this cover story about Abreu being so valuable as a leader. But, I mean, really, is there not somebody off the Army baseball team that you can draft and play first base? Like, you can find leaders. Yeah. You can find leaders. You, you can't find left-handed hitters that will hit 30 home runs. Mm-hmm. I mean, so what the White Sox – like, they were really trying hard, really trying hard to be the Cubs. They were. And they get to this point, they've done it for a little while, and they're like, ah, I just want to be us. Ah, just tear it all down. Like, if I look in Twitter, if I refresh my Twitter and see that the White Sox have traded, like, Kopech, Giolito, and Robert for, you know, for, like, one year, like, for, like, one year of Bryce Harper, it wouldn't surprise me at all. You know, it would not surprise me at all because I just don't think it's in their DNA to tank. Yeah, well, it seems like he's getting a little trigger happy with the guys he's collected at this point. I wouldn't even consider giving up, I think, one arm for it at this point. Like, if they want to go Giolito for, Man- for Manny Machado, I wouldn't even do that at this point at all. Um, I, there's no way. I, I mean, it just doesn't – it doesn't make sense. Now, does Machado make sense for the Cubs? Yeah, does Machado make – since for the Angels, for the Yankees, uh, sure. But for the Chicago White Sox, no, not at all. Not even in an alternate reality. No, because it's all about timing on that stuff. Like, they're not even close to winning, and it's it just seems like it'd be a waste of a prospect. I, I don't know what they're thinking. And honestly, I don't know what Peter Angelos is thinking. I don't even think Machado gets traded because he doesn't even want to give trade prospects, like, a negotiating window. To where, right. like he want he wanted to deny them like some seventy two hour window that says if he's going to trade him anywhere, you can't talk to my guy before I send him your way. I think, I think he just he's an Oriole at least till the deadline later in the summer. I think I don't think he moves. I mean, yeah, I mean, I think logically, if you look at the Orioles, uh, I think right now is the time to rip it down uh, because. It's really hard to trade hitters, position players at the deadline, because right now, you know, when in theory, what twenty teams think they're going to compete, eighteen teams think they're going to compete, and then how many of those teams need a shortstop or a third baseman? Uh, that number is going to be like a third of that, or maybe not even a third of that, come July of exactly. teams that are you actually competing now and get your money's worth for it. Of of teams, you know, so we may get to like look at last July. Not a single contender had a need at shortstop. Not a single contender, you know, had a real need at third base. Uh, I think that's 
why the, I think that's why it took so long for, for Scott, the Scott Frazier trade to materialize. So if, if you're staring that, if you're staring that bull in the face, that Manny Machado is going to leave. Zach Britton's going to leave. This, your team is going the other way. And, and the worst thing you can do is hang out in the middle. Like in baseball, you either, you either have to be winning yeah. or you have to be losing because mediocrity cannot cut it because you cannot get better in baseball by being mediocre. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you just have to be really bad and get draft picks and international pool money and all those things and do it the way the Cubs did it. Uh, you, especially in a market like Baltimore anyways. And when you look at the trajectory of the Yankees and the Red Sox are still there, Angelos, I get it. Like, what was it, 19, 1995, 1996, Pat Gillick had agreed to, like, rip that team apart, and they were going to trade Bell, and they were going to trade Bonilla, and he had all these deals worked out, and at the last minute, Angelos just pulled the plug and said, I can't do it. So maybe, you know, Maybe he doesn't have in his DNA to rip it down, but I think anybody pragmatically looking at that, there's nothing else for them to do. Uh, they, you know, they need to trade Machado. They need to get the best package from Machado they can get. Same thing with Zach Britton. The same thing with Brad Brock. The same thing with, with and the same thing with Adam Jones. And now's the time to do it because if you wait to the deadline, you're just you're going to be fishing in a much smaller pond. Exactly, and you're going to have to take think, whatever teams are contending, like whatever they got. And at that point, you've sold yourself short because, like for example, if you could get the Yankees, and he doesn't want Manny Machado to ever play for the Yankees, but I don't agree with that at all because if you could send him to the Yankees right now and get Clint Frazier and like Justice Sheffield, take it. Clint Frazier, his bat has been described as like legendary out there, like with the potential to how well he could hit. And, uh, yeah, you're 100% right. you got to take that right now. Yeah, right. I mean, you just have to – if you're going to deal with the Yankees, this Brian Cashman has to understand that you're going to exact a pound of flesh. Oh, yeah. And, you know, and then that way there's two angles. Yeah, Machado was an Oriole, now he's a Yankee. But then the Yankee fans can look at, you know, that you know they can look at uh, Frazier playing center field and they can look at Sheffield starting every fifth day. That's a that's a heck of a lot more equitable than holding on to him and then watching him go to New York and free agency. Yeah, because if New York and having them get him, right, right, and and I think a lot of this is based off the media bias towards New York and everything. We just assume New York wants him. Uh, I mean, they have a guy named Didi. They have a guy named Didi who's pretty good, and they have another guy named Glaber Torres who's coming up who's pretty good too. And they're like they just got under that the luxury tax threshold, a Machado deal now or in a year from now is totally going to blow that up. Yeah. So I, you know, I think the New York Yankees thinks a lot of speculation. Anyways, uh, I think actually up until the Cozart signing, I thought Machado might make a lot of sense in Anaheim. When you look at what they're doing, and uh, come July he may he might still. Yeah, I'd love to watch him in Anaheim. Like, one of the things in the offseason that I've really enjoyed is watching the Angels build up their team. Like, I'm so excited to watch Mike Trout play meaningful baseball games, you know? Yeah, like, but like they it still... It excites me so much, I can't wait. It, 
Yes, because, I mean, for years you've had the best player in the game and literally put nothing around him. I mean, literally, like, it's, it, I mean, it's been Mike Trout and the Bad News Bears. Yeah, like, you Albert Pujols for, like, $240 million. The guy can barely walk. Right. Unreal. Right, and, of course, that was before Mike, was, Mike Trout was Mike Trout. And the same thing with Hamilton. But ever since they've had that Pujols and Josh Hamilton arbitros, you know, hung around their neck, they've just, they've just stopped trying to get better. I mean, a couple of years ago they made the Andrew, Anderson Simmons trade, but when I look at the Angels, though, they still they can't get anybody out. Uh, who's their opening day starter? Who knows? Maybe if they if they, they, they Otani, they both have elbow issues. Who knows? Yeah, but he, I mean, even like Otani, like with the elbow issues, uh, you know, I I hope this serves as a reminder to baseball fans that the guy is not Superman. So the idea that Otani was going to go out there and he was going to hit you know forty home runs and and get twenty wins, like I think. Knowing about you know knowing about the elbow issue, I think that people can just kind of pump the brakes, mm-hmm. right? He's 23 years old, uh, and and no offense to Japanese baseball, but Tuffy Rhodes is like their Hank Aaron. So, like, let this kid get to the majors and let's see what he can actually do before we anoint him. You know, before we anoint him for right? Yeah, and, and he's going to have to hold up the so workload because they don't pitch. I don't think as many innings or as often in Japan that they do here. Right, and the idea that he's going to, you know, play the outfield or DH in between there uh, against major league pitching um, and and do both really well, I just find it's very far-fetched. I mean, I'll love to see it if it happens, but I just – it's just hard to believe that there's a human being out there that's just so heads and shoulders – physically better than everyone else that he could pull this off when nobody else has. Yeah. I'll be, I'm uh, to watch I mean, try for sure. Yeah. I mean, I mean, me too. I mean, I, you know, and, and ultimately I think ultimately he's going to have to go one way or the other. Um, cause I think a lot of people just assume that he's going to be a great pitcher because he throws really hard. There's a lot of guys that throw really hard that aren't great pitchers. Yeah, uh, I always think of you know, there's, Popple, who threw really right. hard, but his fastball was as flat as a pancake, and it got hit, bashed. Right, and, and, and velocity velocity plays better out of the bullpen than it plays, than it plays three times through the order, too. Mm-hmm. And there's, there's a lot of things that I think that, that really smart baseball people just were willing to overlook because of the excitement, the, the excitement of, of Shoei Otani. And, and, like, with that, you know, he could throw a first pitch in the spring training and blow that elbow out, and it was still worth the investment for the Angels. Yeah. But, you know, that's that's the thing, though. I think finding out about the, the elbow, the damage in the elbow, I think that that should be – that should be the moment in which we pump the brakes on this whole Shea Otani thing and understand, like I said, this guy doesn't wear a cape and, uh, you know, Edison Ballpark or whatever it is in Anaheim these days doesn't have a phone booth. <laughs> Not at all. And just the thing that scares me about him is I understand, like, Yahoo Sports reported that it's like a stage one UCL sprain, something that's, like, not super severe. But 
the fact that he throws 102 compounds that whole entire thing at this point. Um, and just how well he'll hold up. He only pitched, I think, 30 innings last season. It wasn't a lot. So he's been on the shelf for right. a while. But. Right. And I think object- though, object- Oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, no, go ahead. What's up? Well, what I was going to say is one interesting thing, and I wonder if the Angels ever would contemplate this because they're so in love with 102, is his coach for the Ham Fighters said that he was a better hitter than he was a pitcher and a much more natural hitter, meaning basically saying like hitting comes to him more naturally than throwing does, and he's also a better hitter than he's a pitcher. At least that's what he thought. And I wonder at some point if this will never happen because he throws 102. But I wonder if the smarter decision at some point where if that UCL throws a lot of red flags, if you just don't start to hit him more and rehab that elbow for a while, you know, with PRP injections and stuff like that. I don't know how that would look, but um, his coach has said he's a way better hitter than he is a pitcher. Right. Well, so let me throw this at you. Why not just, if the kid's, if the kid really is a natural hitter, why don't we just let him hit and then yeah. use him out of the pen? Yep. You use him out of the bullpen two or three times a week and then let him hit the rest of the time. Uh, which I know double switching and things, you know, is not a big, uh, not a big part of the American league game, but, mm-hmm. uh, just let the kid come out of the pens. Let the kid come out of the pen. Let him hit. You know, if he's really that good of a hitter, which, like, you know, back to my uh, Tuffy Rhodes analogy, we'll see. Yeah, yeah. But if he really is that good of a hitter, put that in the lineup, let the kid pitch out of the pen. But, like, I'm really skeptic of the idea that he can start, that he can be a starter, an effective starter, and then also, you know, hit in 100 games. I really am. I really am skeptic. Yeah. Well, that's a good idea with the whole bullpen thing because it would probably be way more attainable to have him as a strong bullpen arm. Like, imagine if you had an Andrew Miller type that could come out and give you two good innings, but then he could also hit. Like, I think one that right. would probably be way more attainable, and two, the value in that. That's all we see in baseball right now is the value of a bullpen right. arm and a guy who's versatile that can come in and be that fireman type goose gossage guy that can come and throw the sixth and the seventh or the eighth and the ninth or whatever you want and just mow through the middle of the order, then put some guy to close it in and face seven, eight, nine, you know, um, that's a really good idea. That's yeah. I mean, and that's, and that's exactly it. But now that you basically, you know, uh, his agents came to you, you know, with the devil in the dress and, they had to put all that verbiage in his contract. Um, I don't even know if they even have the flexibility to do that. And that's, you know, that's the thing, right? With, but I think that one thing that I think really, really bright puts a, a bright shining light on the whole Shoei situation, knowing that he has the UCL sprain when he first uh, declared that he was going to come over and the max that he was going to be able to get was going to be like three and a half million in the international pool money versus like a $250 million contract two years from now, everybody and you being one of those people were just like, Oh, this is great. He loves the game so much. 
He's like Kevin Costner in Fields of Dreams, or he's like Robert Redford. He's a natural. He loves baseball so much. This is awesome. And now I wonder if it might not have been more calculated than that. Mm-hmm. Maybe the kid knew that if he pitched another season or two in Japan, his arm was going to fall off. And he'd be selling himself. Right, and he'd, right, he'd be selling himself as a Tommy John guy uh, in the midst, you know, trying to get that pillow contract, that two-year deal uh, that Tommy John guys get in the major leagues, like what the Cubs just gave Drew Smiley. Yeah. Like I, and when you look at the history of Japanese pitchers coming to the major leagues, whether it be Tanaka or Daisuke or Hideki or Abu. Those guys all have arm issues. They all do. Uh, I can't think of a Japanese starter that's came to the major leagues in the last 15 years that didn't, that down the road didn't have major arm issues. Mm-hmm. And a lot of it, I think, has to do with their usage. And a lot of it has to do with their shortened season and the fact that, like, I, 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 don't, I can't speak to Otani, but I know, like, Tanaka, that dude was pitching three, that, that dude was starting three times a week. And, and no human arm holds up to that. Oh, so I just, so I just really wonder if maybe Shohei Tani is not some benevolent, you know, some benevolent, or didn't do this out of some benevolent love for the game, but it was really just more pragmatism and more calculating. Yeah. Like to get what we get good. Let me get my money. Let me play endorsements and stuff like that. And let me get and let me get this Tommy John surgery from Doctor James Andrews, and let me because if you remember that letter that Otani put out in the recruiting process, what was one of the very first bullets in there? What are your rehab facilities? What are your rehab facilities like? What's your training? What what are your training facilities? What's your rehab facilities? What's your medical staff like? And I think that when you hide that in the midst of uh, you know. A, a three-page document with a lot of other points that doesn't stand out. But now knowing what we know now, I think it does kind of stand out a little bit off the page. Yeah, my mind is completely blown right now. I never even thought of any of that stuff. Holy crap. I'm going to get off this podcast and just figure this whole thing out. Unbelievable. <laughs> <laughs> I never even thought of it. Dude, well, I think... Um, we're like at 30 minutes, man, so I think I'm going to wrap this thing up. Is there anything else you kind of want to add before we uh, wrap it up? For the yeah, day? I think I think the last thing that we uh, that we wanted to talk about was uh, Jake Arrieta and uh, Hugh Darvish and kind of their markets and where they're at. And I know I brought it up a little bit earlier with uh, Scott Boris out there copying Jake Arrieta at 32 years old to like a 25-year-old Justin Verlander. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay, we're back on. So Jake Arrieta, um, what do you think about that? Yeah, like, you know, I mentioned earlier, you know, Scott Boris is out there and he's, he's copying a 32-year-old Jake Arrieta to a 25-year-old Justin Verlander and he's trying to get $200 million to the guy in seven years. I don't think in a million years that happens. And whoever does it, I think, can, can look back in their history of their team and they can pinpoint the day in which their franchise died. Like, you, you can't give a 32-year-old pitcher with, with, that, with, with, with that type of delivery and those type of command issues 
two hundred million dollars. Uh, yeah, you and just you can't. You thirty eight years old. No. Right. Exactly. And it, like, obviously, you can make the argument if anybody will do it, it's Jake because of his conditioning. Um, and I know that, and Boris will make the point that Jake is a big game pitcher. And if anybody understands that, I understand that. And I'm sure Jed and Theo understand that because Jake has pitched some huge games for the Cubs. But, you know, John Lackey was a big game pitcher too. And it didn't matter last year. When you're out of gas, you're out of gas. And when you're talking about a six year deal or a seven year deal for Jake out for Jake Arietta, he's going to run out of gas. I think the big question is, is it next year? Is it the year after next? Or is it four years from now? But at some point, he's going to run out of gas, and you're still going to owe him a lot of money. Mm-hmm. So I just, like, especially from the Cubs standpoint, you know, if Jake can get seven years and $200 million from the Brewers, I'm all about it. I'll get some popcorn, and I'll watch that train wreck in three. Because yeah. and, and for an organization, you know, there's been rumors about the Brewers. There's been rumors about the Twins, about other small markets getting That's in on Jake Al- Arietta. Yeah, it just it doesn't make sense, right? It just doesn't make sense. I mean, that's the kind of move that will crush a franchise. Oh, it'll handle and, you and you don't, years and keep you from bringing young and guys you don't, in. And then before you know it, you've depleted your farm system trying to make up for it. Right. So with Jake, obviously I'd love to see him come back to Chicago if the price is right. The price is not going to be right, but I will be interested to see how far – how long into how long into the winter and maybe the spring this plays out? How long uh, you know Scott Boris is willing to drag out this uh, this fantasy mm-hmm. that that he's got Max Scherzer because he doesn't ask Jake Arrieta. So like I I want to see how long this goes and I want to see what those final numbers come in at. Um. You know, is he going to find somebody to jump off a cliff? And if anybody can, it's Scott Boris. Or is Jake going to, or is Jake going to be the Edwin Carnacion of this year? Is he going to be that guy that's eating humble pie at the end when everybody, you know, kind of like playing musical chairs? Is he going to be the last one without a chair? Yeah, you think you're getting 110 million, and you get what Edwin get 60 or something like that? And I don't know. Right, I mean, right. It's just not going to come to that because the way the game's changing and all these teams are valuing uh, relievers, I don't know if – I don't think it's any sort of coincidence that we haven't heard a lot about you, Darvish, or Jake Arrieta because they're just not right. what's the most important thing to have to really spend that much money. I mean, because you're looking at high-priced pitchers that are signed now, and we've heard reports that the Diamondbacks want to unload Granky, and you're seeing it right in front of your eyes about, oh – like, look how bad of a decision that was. It's right in front of my face. Maybe I shouldn't do that and try to get some bullpen and stack this and get me five starters and give me five and six good innings. So I wouldn't be surprised if it, if either one of these guys doesn't sign until real late in the offseason. And if it's not, I could see you, I think you gets more than Jake for sure. But I, like you said, I wouldn't be surprised if Jake doesn't get anywhere close and he's this year's Edwin Encarnacion just because of... Um, his age, the control, but really just the fact that the focus is on bullpens, and we've seen it the past couple of years. The one, like the one thing with you, Darvish, and, and Jake too, because I think those two are tied together. And I think the 
the the one thing to kind of look at is this will be Jake's first major payday. Mm-hmm. He's made money in arbitration, but uh, you you know you Darvish came into the league with a giant contract. Um, so I think it, it's probably, and I think that based on things Jake has said, mm-hmm. certainly his agent and who he hired as his agent, his hiring Scott Porsche as your agent tells tells everyone a lot, a lot about what's really important to you that it's money. I think Jake would be the one that holds out to get every last dime. And maybe he ends up getting every last dime from like the Minnesota twins or something. Mm-hmm. And he just decides the money is more important than winning. And I mean, who can blame him? Cause he's like, I said, this is it. This is a one shot at a big contract. He's going to get. Whereas you Darvish, because he's already gotten paid, he got paid in Japan and he got paid in the States when he came here. You know, back to the Cubs, because that's where everything comes back to me. Man, could Theo and Jed work a four-year deal for Darvish with a high AAV? Or a three-year deal with a really high AAV? I mean, the Cubs are like $74 million under the tax, under the luxury tax right now. They've got some guys to take care of in arbitration, but it's not going to be nearly $70 million worth. So could the, Cubs, could the Cubs come at like four years and $120 million for you? And would would you do it? I think you would. And would it make sense? And would that make more sense than giving five or six years to Jake? And I, I think, think it would. Hands down. And I think it makes more sense. I read an article on Sports Illustrated not maybe like a month ago. And it was a piece basically along the lines of um, how like this World Series collapses like over Hugh Darvish's head right now, right? And part of the article had a quote from Hugh Darvish that said one of the biggest obstacles he had from pitching in Japan to pitching here is that when he pitched in Japan, he would just go out and pitch his game. He would plan it himself. He would do it himself. But when he got to Major League Baseball, all the coaches and pitching coaches were so hands-on about planning the game for him, and they interrupted that process. And then I feel like now with you, Darvish, a lot of the game is upstairs in his head, whether it's like the tipping pitches or having like a really bad first inning earned run average to where now you've got a guy that has had so many major league coaches tell him what to do that he's completely forgotten about himself and what works well for him. And I almost compare you Darvish at this point in his career to Jake Arrieta in Baltimore, where he came over to Chicago and Bazio tells him, hey, just pitch your game, go your full crossfire, do whatever, and let it rip, and you saw Jake flourish. And I really believe where you Darvish is at right now, he's got the stuff to shut to shut teams down. And I really feel like if he gets with a team that will let him pitch his game with you Darvish, it's like... He's got a Ferrari, but the motor, it's like out of gas right now. And all you got to do is get this guy in a situation to where he can flourish and play his game. And I would be all in on the Cubs getting him because I feel like the environment that Chicago has is what he needs to get back to just yeah. his game. Yeah, I mean, if there's any manager in baseball that's just going to let you go out there and be you, it's Joe Madden, right? Absolutely. I mean, it's going to be go out there and try not to suck. And, and that's going to be, and that's going to be it. And he's going to let you do you, yep. uh, you know, and I think, of course, I'm, of course I'm very biased here, but I think it could really work. And, and, but it's all, you know, prefaced on the idea that you Darvish will sign a three or four year contract. And that's what we don't know. Cause I don't with, 
when you when you look at what's down the road for the Cubs with, with Anthony Rizzo's contract and and with Chris Bryant and Contreras and Baez and Russell and all these guys that came up at the same time that hit free agency, you know, within a couple of years of each other, the Cubs really have to be mindful of the deals that they sign now and the length of those deals uh, because they need to make sure that they're, you know, really under the tax for at least the next two seasons so that when it comes time to re-sign Bryant and everybody else, that you're not up against the cap, you're not up against the luxury or you're not facing luxury penalties, having to pay like 90% taxes and things like that. Mm-hmm. And so that's the thing. And I think it's Alex Cobb or anybody else who, and Jake Arrieta, it's years. I think the Cubs will throw money at it. You know, I, I don't think the AAV was so much the issue. I think it's the length of the contract. But I think if they're able to, like, swing a deal for Zach Britton or if they're able to sign Wade or sign another closer or make a deal for a closer, then I think that they can kind of wait in the weeds a little bit um, uh, and see Alex Cobb, Hugh Darvish, Jake Arrieta, Lance Lynn, these guys, see who starts to come off the board and then maybe get back into it later on later on in the winter once, once things have settled settle a little bit because the thing about free agent dollars, they're not infinite. They'll run out. And, and I think you see with what teams are doing in the trade market. Now there's a lot of guys, there's a lot of teams that we expected were going to make big free agent moves that just went out and did it via the trade market. And I think that that's, I think you're going to see that trend continue. And uh, Scott Boris clients are going to have to come back down to earth. Yeah, they are indeed. Well, we'll go ahead and close it out. John, man, thank you so much for being on the show. Dude, it was fun talking, fun recording. And, uh, yeah, man. We'll do this soon, man, for sure. We'll have to do it again and make it at least uh, probably a weekly thing the way uh, we had this conversation, man. So, so uh, thanks for taking Yeah, time. man, it was great. I had a lot of fun. Yeah, man. Appreciate it, man. We'll talk to All you right. soon. Hey, guys, we just want to say thanks again for checking out The Greatest Show on Dirt. We really appreciate everyone that takes the time to listen to the show because uh, all we really want to do is talk baseball and share it with the world. So, uh just want to go ahead and mention again, you just listened to John Roberts. You can find him on Twitter at HeyTweetJohn. Like I said, tons of baseball insight. So thanks for being on the show, John. And thanks for listening, everybody. And we will catch you next week. Take care.